if you have your Bibles with you tonight, please turn to Colossians chapter 2. I know many of you are breathing the sigh of relief. It's like, wow, it took us this long, but we're finally in chapter 2. No worries. Uh, Colossians chapter 2. We live in a world uh, that promotes much. Multiple marketing firms and businesses will promote their product as your number one need. What they promise you is that if you buy that product, if you own it, you're going to be satisfied. You will finally be complete. Now we know that's not true. Though there are many items that you and I enjoy, and though there are many items that you and I own, we realize that they do not bring complete satisfaction. They do not make us feel totally complete. Well, as we come to Colossians 2, Paul is encouraging the Christians in, in Colossae to be rooted in Christ alone. We'll read that in just a moment in verse 7. Christ alone is to be their firm foundation so that they avoid false teaching, so that they avoid error. Uh, church, the same call is issued to you and I this evening. We are to be rooted in Christ alone because he is the preeminent one, the, all, the only and all-sufficient Savior. You're there in Colossians chapter 2. Please join me as we read in verse 1, and we'll go ahead and read down to verse 10. <clears throat> Paul writes, for I, would, for I would that ye know what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order in the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him, speaking of Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, speaking of Christ, which is the head of all principality and power. Tonight we are looking at this idea of Paul here, he's encouraging these Colossian Christians to be rooted in Christ alone. And that is a call that is issued to you and I. We are to be rooted in Christ alone because he is the preeminent one, the only and all-sufficient Savior. So as we dig into this passage, as we deal with these first 10 verses, we're simply going to break it down into three different sections. And we're going to begin with the first section, which is found in verse 1 through 5, which is Paul's concern for the Colossian Christians. Paul's concern for the Colossian Christians You've been with me for the last few weeks as we've been in this book. Up until this point, Paul has been kind of vague as to what he has been desiring to protect these individuals from. We've made mention to it, but he's been kind of vague. Well, in chapter 2, Paul takes a more direct approach in order to help edify and guide his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. As Paul begins with what I want you to know, he's simply saying to them, I do not wish you to be in ignorance. 
You can find this, you can find evidence of, of similar language used by Paul in Romans 1, verse 13, and in Romans 11, verse 25. He's saying here, I do not want you to be in ignorance. I want you to be aware of what's going on. As Paul begins to speak to them, he says that he's addressing those in Colossae and also those in the city of Laodicea. So close to each other were these cities that we have to understand that a spiritual danger that affected one of them was almost certainly bound to affect the other city as well. The apostle here, he stresses the importance of the matter under discussion. He regards this Colossian heresy, which he is about to refute, as being a very serious danger. And therefore, he makes it clear he is conflicted for them. He is worried for their sake. Truly, Paul must have received ample information from Epaphras, one who was around them, or perhaps another servant, Um, about the prevailing conditions of the churches in this valley. See, he wants the entire membership, also that large majority that has never seen him, to know that he loves them and that he is thoroughly concerned about them when, when spiritual danger threatens. Church, it's amazing as we read this from Paul. You see that he's concerned for these people, people he is not nearby at this moment, people that he perhaps has not ever met, he might know a name, can't put a name to a face, does not really know them that well, but he's concerned for them. What an example of love and genuine concern for you and I to see here in Scripture and to model. You know, we should truly love one another enough to to boldly, and to lovingly speak biblical truth into each other's lives, even if that means frustration might come out of it. You see, we must be willing to love each other enough that we desire to see each other succeed spiritually, even if it means we have to have difficult conversations. We spoke last time about ministering, which simply means to meet the needs of someone. Sometimes that means having a difficult conversation, being willing to love someone enough, being willing to be bold enough to say, hey, I'm slightly concerned about this. Hey, there's a potential roadblock I see on your path. Paul here, he had been agonizing. He had been fighting for the Colossians with everything he had. Again, Paul had not seen them, yet he agonized for them. You see, while spiritual error was implied in chapter 1, It's expressed clearly in chapter 2. We're not going to go through the entire chapter tonight. We'll deal with the rest of chapter 2 next time we gather. But he deals with four areas of false teaching. He gets very direct, very specific. And tonight we'll only deal with one, and you'll read of it in verse 8. But Paul had been agonizing for them. Though he could not be with them in person, he agonized for them in prayer for these Christians that were in Colossae. The toil and the spiritual conflict in which Paul was engaged on these believers' behalfs embraced not only those whom he had personally met, but also those who had been converted through the ministry of Paul's colleagues and his assistants. You know, this morning we were, we were speaking on prayer. We were looking to Scripture, and we saw the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. Isn't it true that our prayer life oftentimes is very self-centered? It's just about what's currently going on in our lives. That's what's on our mind. That's what we're going to pray. Well, Paul here, 
he's in prison at this time, and yet he is toiling, he's agonizing in prayer over these individuals he's never met about a potential danger that is headed their way. The spiritual conflict of Paul, it involved constant prayer that these young Christians might be strengthened in heart and firmly bound together in Christian love. What a beautiful desire of Paul. You see, others might lead them astray with talk of mysteries, but there was one mystery above all others, the mystery of God's loving purpose disclosed in Christ alone. And Paul's concern was that they should come to know this all-surpassing mystery and know it as an indwelling presence. We need to understand something very important. Against all those who tried to intellectualize the Christian faith, speaking of knowledge as if it were an end in itself, Paul here emphasizes that the revelation of God, it cannot be known properly apart from the, cultiva- apart from the cultivation of brotherly love within the community. Isn't that wonderful? It cannot be known apart from the cultivation of brotherly love within the community. That should be an encouragement to us to edify one another, to grow together, to disciple one another, to to come alongside one another here at church. Not just to come here so we can gain knowledge, so we can gain more insight into Scripture. That is a benefit, but to come alongside and to grow in brotherly love, in Christian love. Paul shared that knowledge inflates, but love truly builds up. Knowledge inflates, but love truly builds up. That's why he speaks of in verse 2, being knit together in love. Not being knit together in knowledge, but being knit together in love. Church, only as Christians are rooted and well-founded in love, can they comprehend with all the saints the fullness of the divine revelation. Christ himself is the mystery of God revealed. Christ with whom they now have become one. Paul here, he speaks of striving. And the purpose of Paul's striving is that their hearts might be strengthened. This is so important for Paul to pray for this because we can agree that once a man's heart has been won thoroughly over and established in grace, that entire person has become the object of God's marvelous, transforming power for the heart. And And the heart is the fulcrum of feeling and faith as well as the mainspring of words and actions. You see, against the attacks of the false teachers, their hearts were to be strengthened. Against the attacks of the false teachers, their hearts were to be strengthened. See, not knowledge, not conceit, but mutual love is the bond of perfection. And such love springs directly from the heart of God in Christ and leads back to him, for God is Love, as 1 John 4, 8 tells us. Paul truly is striving because he is concerned for these Christians. He's concerned that they might be induced by the false teachers to forget or to neglect or to fear of some knowledge. He is concerned for them. That they might be be persuaded through persuasive speech. Christian, I believe that That is why you and I must be surrounded by God's word. 
We must allow God and his word to determine the way that we think and the way that we act. God's word allows us to have confidence and assurance. By looking at God's word, we are assured that we do not need a man-focused philosophy. Oftentimes when you deal with doubt or when you deal with issues in God's word, the answer is not to necessarily go to another person and ask what their opinion is. The answer is to go search scripture. See what God has to say. See what he speaks of on the subject. We need to continue to think on love here, though, as Paul writes on it. Love had, has made them one body, and now a common danger threatens them. It is love in which they have been knit together, not knowledge, not philosophy. And I love how Paul here, he prays for them to have a full assurance of understanding. Be knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. The idea to be conveyed here is not encouragement to acquire more wealth, but to instead use it against the false teachers in order to rout their false philosophy. These false teachers, like all errorists, also have a wealth of personal assurance, but it's not connected with real understanding. The danger that these Christians in Colossae faced was that the false teachers were telling them that they needed to add more to what Christ had done. If you had to boil down the book of Colossians to a phrase, it's that Christ is enough. Christ is supreme. Christ truly is God. So for them to come alongside and say, hey, Christ is good. That's a good place to start. You need to add more. We see the issue with that. We see the danger with that. We see the error behind that. Christ was enough. Christ is enough. Christ was sufficient. Christ is sufficient. Christ, the Son of the Father's love, the firstborn of all creation, the firstborn from the dead, the God-man, supreme in his deity and his divine attributes, communicated to his human nature in his mighty work of reconciling back all that exists, reconciling also the Gentile believers, leaving nothing, nothing whatever, to be added by any other power or means. Isn't that wonderful and powerful? Christ is enough. We must be rooted in Christ alone. Church, what you think of Christ, your conception of Christ, is everything. If you believe in Christ Jesus, that he is eternal, without beginning, without end, that always was continuing, if you believe that he's the creator of everything, the creator of textures, the creator of shapes, the creator of, of colors. If you believe that he's the sustainer of all creation, the force which is presently holding the atoms of your body, your universe together, and that without him, all of that would dissolve. If you believe that he is the incarnate reconciler who will one day reconcile the universe and redeem humanity to himself, then despite the fact that life will be full of trouble, Nothing much will go wrong. How does this knowledge of Christ come, though? He says it right here, through brotherly love. He's concerned for these Christians in Colossae. Hey, spiritual danger's on the way. Be knit together in love. Hey, be rooted in Christ alone. 
This means that mere intellectual comprehension of the mystery of Christ, it will not bring full understanding of the mystery, for understanding also comes through the love of Christians one for another. Church, when we are loved by believers, when we are loved by other believers, we experience Christ through them. And thus our knowledge of Christ, is, it is enhanced. See, no intellectual process will lead to a full grasp of the mystery of Christ unless it is accompanied by a love for him and for Christians that knits us, the church, together in love. What we see here in this passage is that the heart of Paul's concern was that these Colossians might grow apart from Christ. They might grow apart from Christ. They might be led astray. And he was concerned for them, though he, though he had not seen them. He was concerned for them, though he did not know them that well. He was concerned for them that they would grow apart from Christ. His desire was, on the contrary, that they would grow ever more toward Christ. He was concerned for their minds. He was concerned for their hearts. And what Paul realized is that the Colossians need not, they must not look for any other source of happiness or holiness outside of Christ. You know, that's true for you and I as well. We must not look for any other source of happiness or holiness outside of Christ. Because as it says in verse 3, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ, all treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. Jesus, according to his divine nature, knows all things. In Christ, knowledge is never separated from wisdom, as it often is among men. Divine wisdom, in a sense, is far more exalted than human wisdom, because it devises, it plans, it guides, and it directs. It does what man's wisdom cannot. It reconciles seemingly irreconcilables. While this mystery being spoken of has been published so that all saints may know it, the treasures are still in Christ is hidden away. It is in Christ that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are stored up. They are unfolded to those who believe in Christ. Christ is the wisdom of God. And Paul is saying all of this because he's going right into verse 4. Be careful lest any man beguile you with enticing words. See, as we move on to verse 4 and, and on to verse 5, we see that Paul acknowledges his absence from them. But although Paul is personally absent from them, he's with them in spirit. And he rejoices as he watches their Christian behavior and their firm Christian faith. Look back with me, if you will, in verse 4 and 5. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, though I'm not there with you physically, yet am I with you in spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Paul's contemplation of the Colossians' faith and conduct, it gave him the utmost pleasure. He was thankful that they were succeeding. He was thankful that they were growing. He was thankful that they were remaining firm in the faith. Paul was motivated to say all of the above in the passage because he was genuinely concerned that they potentially could be led astray. This false teaching could easily lead them astray for those who were not knit together in brotherly love. 
So although Paul could not be physically present with the Colossian Christians to rout these false teachers from cheating the people, from misleading the people, the Colossians have all the help that they need right here in this epistle. Thus far, the Colossians, as, as the scripture says, they had stood firm against the false teachers. But, but we need to understand that these false teachers probably would continue to be persistent. Therefore, Paul continues to be concerned because they were doubtless, there were doubtless many false teachers. See, the, the report by Epaphras, those who they were most familiar, familiar with, those who had a, the, Epaphras who had a relationship to Paul, his report to Paul was on the whole, it was favorable. Um, though he had not minimized in any way the dangers that were threatening the church, Epaphras had been careful to point out that on the whole, the Colossians had not been moved from their foundation. They had remained rooted in Christ. So Paul here, he is concerned for the Colossian Christians. So we see Paul's concern, but we also see in verse 6 through 8, Paul's charge or his, his challenge to the Colossian Christians. So he's concerned that they'll be led astray. He's concerned for all these false teachers. He's concerned that they won't remain rooted in Christ, but he then transitions to give a charge, a challenge to these Colossian Christians. Look with me, if you will, in verse 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after, and after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Paul's message remains clear. His emphasis falls on the necessity of clinging to Christ Jesus as the all-sufficient one and as the one who can be trusted. What Paul's saying here is, don't be misled. Don't be misled. He states in his encouragement to let, to let their walk, their life, their conduct continue to be in harmony with the fact that they have accepted Christ. Having been firmly implanted in Christ as the infinite and all-sufficient source of salvation, full and free and so continually, constantly availing yourselves of every opportunity of being brought to higher ground and still higher ground as you become more established, ever more firmly in the activity of faith. Paul is on their side. Paul's encouraging them. He's concerned for them, but he challenges them. He says, hey, here's my charge to you. The challenge is this, to follow Christ alone. The challenge is this, to be rooted in Christ alone, because then you will, then you will be able to distinguish the false teachers, the false teaching. Paul's not ignorant of what's going on as he writes. He understands that these false teachers were offering a deeper knowledge to the Colossians. Christian, our experience of first coming to Christ really ought to mirror how we walk with him all the days of our lives. See, they fully re received Christ. They were not simply a part of him. The Colossian Christians were rooted in Christ. Uh, Ken Hughes had this beautiful statement. He says this, Perhaps Paul here might have had the imagery of Psalm 1. 
picturing these Christians as trees that send their roots wide and deep into the soil of Christ, thus drawing from it life. Paul speaks of being rooted, having your soil, being deeply rooted in Christ. He then speaks of being built up in Christ. So rooted, built up in him. As believers, our foundation rests on Christ, and in Christ, we are about to be the business We are to be about the business of enhancing that relationship. We are to dig deep into that soil. We are to plant our lives there, to spend much of our time becoming a more worthy foundation. But we must center on Christ alone. We must be rooted in Christ alone. But do you find it a little strange, as Paul's writing, that he kind of comes to the end of verse 7 and speaks of thanksgiving? Paul's speaking here of gratitude in this verse. I don't know about you, knowing that spiritual danger is present, knowing that we're being attacked, knowing that there are false teachers trying to lead us astray, it's kind of hard to find the, the, opportunity, the opportunity to be thankful in that, in that opportunity, to, to, to be thankful in that situation. But Paul here speaks of gratitude. I think we can all agree that a healthy Christian walk it spills over with gratitude. It spills over with praise. Thanksgiving is a good test of our spiritual state. You see, a thankless spirit betrays a life which is no longer focusing on the greatness of Christ. Thankful hearts foster spiritual growth, foster spiritual health. And in order to route this false teaching of adding to what Christ had already done, Paul is firm here in encouraging them to express praise, to be rooted in Christ. They are to continue to grow in their walk and therefore become more like Christ. If they continue to walk in submission to Christ, the Colossians would remain safe from spiritual seduction. You know, we too will be resistant to false teaching if we walk in the reality of Christ Jesus. I I believe it's important for you and I to understand that Paul was not simply putting down philosophy. That's kind of the the main point right here. Hey, don't don't let any man spoil you through philosophy. He's not necessarily putting down philosophy as a whole because philosophy simply means the love of wisdom. Uh, This false teaching, though, was promoting a dangerous teaching that taught a person must work his or her way up a longer series of lesser gods before reaching the ultimate God. Saying Christ was good, that's a good place to start, but that's not enough. That's not the end all. It truly was deceptive because it sounded great. It sounded correct. It sounded persuasive to these Christians. But church, we do not need a substitute or a better option. Christ alone is sufficient. Therefore, we must walk in Christ. We must be firmly planted and rooted in Christ alone. As we come to verse 8, we've mentioned it, but it becomes immediately clear that Paul was concerned as he issues this challenge to the Christians. Yes, he was thankful that they were firm in their faith. He was thankful that they were growing. He was thankful that nothing... Horrible had happened just yet, but he was still concerned. 
he was concerned that this false, these false teachers, this false teaching might come in and take a, take a stronghold. But what Paul understood and what Paul communicated was that the teaching that these individuals were offering, it truly was empty, it truly was futile. Therefore, he gave them this urgent encouragement. Because though this, this false teaching promised big things, it could not fulfill it. But Christ could fulfill his promise. Church, Christ is all that you and I need for salvation. Christ is truly enough. He is the way, the truth, the life. If you had to boil it down, the main issue with this false teaching was that it did not give Christ all the honor. I think oftentimes when we think about a works-based salvation or, or individuals trying to earn their salvation, they try and come across as noble, as holy, as righteous people. But the truth is they're trying to take honor from Christ. Salvation was accomplished by Christ not through anything that we did, but accomplished through Christ. So Paul, he's concerned. Therefore, he issues this challenge, remain rooted in Christ alone. As we come to the end of this passage in, in verse 9 and 10, we see Paul's concern, we see his challenge, but finally, we see Paul's reminder to the Colossian Christians. For in him, speaking of Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead, bodily, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. As Paul writes of Christ, he's referring to the Son's complete equality of essence with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Church, the fullness of the Godhead is embodied, is given concrete expression, and is fully realized in Christ. While the false teaching focused on human tradition Paul instead sought to urge his brothers and sisters in Christ to choose Christ, to follow Christ alone, to be rooted in Christ alone. Christ is not merely godlike. Christ is more than simply overflowing with the character of God. Christ is enough because Christ is God. Christ's fullness meets your individual needs. Christ's fullness meets our individual needs. If you are full of Christ, how could you want or truly need anything else? Faith in Christ Jesus is not only creator of the cosmic powers, but has proved himself their master by his victory on the cross. We need to realize and acknowledge that Christ's fullness it meets our individual needs. He gives us what we require and as we continue in Christ, we experience more and more the satisfaction of his fullness. If you are full of Christ and growing in that fullness, if you are overflowing with Christ, truly all false teaching will lose its appeal. You will so soon realize that you are complete in Christ. Those false teachings, they will remain empty, they will remain vain, they will bear, bear little appeal to you and to me. If you are full of Christ, how could you want anything else? Paul concludes in verse 10 that to truly avoid the error of false teaching, they must be rooted in Christ alone. Christ alone died on the cross. 
Christ alone satisfied the Father's wrath. Christ alone is the one who makes it possible for mankind's salvation. We must be diligent and careful to not distort the gospel. We must meditate upon its truths, and we must live our lives continuing to grow in Christ. Church, Paul was encouraging these Colossian Christians who face false teaching to remain rooted in Christ alone. Why? So that they might continue to grow and abound in their walk. That same call has been extended to you and I. The reality that, that we need to accept is that we can allow false teaching at times to truly influence our lives. And we must be on the guard, we must be on guard and must accept the challenge of Paul to be rooted in Christ alone because he truly is God and we are complete in him. Will you be rooted in Christ tonight alone? Let us pray and I'll turn things over to Pastor Sam. Father, we praise you for this time together.